You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Oh, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to the weekly Bass Edge podcast. I'm Aaron Martin, host of the Bass Edge television show, which airs weekly on the Versus Network. Very excited to be able to share this with you as this is our debut episode of the podcast. Got a lot of great stuff. Our television show actually takes place on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Central Standard Time and then is followed up again on Wednesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. Uh, you know, I get often get the question about what is Bass Edge and how is this going to be different? You know, is this two bubbas that's out here running around uh, just sitting on the front deck of the boat, uh, you know, trying to, to catch a fish? And, and the answer to that is absolutely not. Really, when we set out to create Bass Edge and, and it being three years in the making, you know, the goal was really to come up with a new generation uh, or a new type of fishing program that was really focusing on teaching the fundamentals of bass fishing in a way that regardless of where your your skill set is as an angler, whether it be just trying to get into the sport or maybe you're an accomplished uh, tournament angler, that each individual could walk away with something, whether it be a skill, a technique, or just the sheer fact of getting to see what a particular body of water looks like. So Bass Edge is really, you know, it's to serve as your source for tips and techniques from some of the top pro anglers uh, that's out there. And, and we have a list that I can promise you, you have heard of many of these individual anglers, uh, such as Pete Pons. We have Edwin Evers, Mark Tucker, Jason Quinn, Kurt Dove, Ken Broder, just to name a few. You know, each episode really focuses in on a particular topic as uh, my co-host and I really try and get out there to highlight ways to improve your skill set and ultimately help you put more fish in the boat. And they're not just on bodies of water that, you know, they're, they're not all taking place on the same area. We travel, uh, really trek across eight different states to really put the skills of the angler to the test so that we can provide you with both from a geographic standpoint, different types of water, different parts of the country because as we all know different parts of the country fish different ways in addition you know the most exciting thing uh, besides the fishing is the way that it's presented you know we have some phenomenal 2d and 3d animation techniques that not only takes you above the water to illustrate what we're talking about but also then breaks down and goes below the water to show you structure to show you how fish relate to the bait to show you how the bait moves through the water and, and it's just something that I cannot wait for you to, if you haven't seen it, you got to get out there and see it. But uh, the show also breaks away from the just the fishing aspect of it, and we have three sub-segments. The first sub-segment is In the Zone, and it's hosted by well-known FLW Outdoors uh, columnist, Dr. Jay McNamara, and he introduces key performance psychology aspects of the sport. He is also debuting his book, uh, through Bass Edge. It goes beyond just the fundamental skills required to have success in fishing and shows you how important it is to, to have your thoughts together. Inside Edge is, is this, the next segment and what that does is it brings in a new topic each, each week 
by an industry expert focusing on equipment-related items. So we're not just looking at it from a surface level, but we get in there and figure out, does the product work or is it something that maybe you want us to steer away from? In addition, the final sub-segment is KidCast. And this is one of the things that, you know, if, if you read the title, you're probably thinking it's just focusing in on youth or children. And that is partly true. But Mike Webb, who hosts this, the sub-segment, has done a phenomenal job at coming up with creative ways. And on the first show that we did, he showed me something on Worms that just absolutely blew my mind, but also the mind of a lot of experienced anglers out there. So I'm excited to, to, to be able to share that with you. Um, But each week this podcast, we will be interviewing a different professional angler, but keeping it very technique focused. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they want information, but we're sort of held captive to the 30 minutes that we have to work in within that television show. So what we are going to accomplish here, not only through the website of being able to follow that up with written articles on the techniques and things that we're doing, but the podcast is going to give us the opportunity to get an into that angler's mind and really go in and talk in detail about the techniques, what they do to uh, be a success, not only on the tournament trail, but just to go out there and have fun and be able to catch fish. We already have a bunch of top pros lined up over the next few weeks, including Edwin Evers, Mark Tucker, Jason Quinn, Greg Hackney, and Peter T., just to name a few. The other thing is, you can't miss this, we're also going to be giving away some of the top products that are out there to listeners uh, and finding out about some of the latest innovations in the industry. And one thing that I will say on these product giveaways, this isn't just a keychain that's got Bass Edge written on it. These are high dollar, high end products that I promise you, you will want to get involved with. But joining us this week is Pete Ponce, who will go more in depth on some of the crankbait techniques he introduced in our first television show episode. Um, and if you haven't seen that, you got to see it because you will not believe the the fish and the way that uh, that Pete works these crankbaits. He is a true, true expert uh, when it comes to, to throwing those crankbaits. And also, we will be speaking with Pete Benedetto uh, from the Locker Bar Company uh, about boat security. Great product. If you haven't seen it, I know um, a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the anglers out there already have these, but if, if you're not familiar with this, this is something you do not want to miss because it's as, as expensive as what fishing tackle is with rods and reels, the price of those, you want to make sure that those are, are able to be locked up and uh, to where somebody can't rip you off. Real quick before we get into the interviews, I had the opportunity last night we had our world premiere, the launching of Bass Edge uh, party. And I, I must tell you, I was I was quite humbled as we had a standing room only crowd. We had uh, team members uh, from I think seven different states. Uh, of course, a lot of family members, a lot of friends there. I want to to thank everyone that came out. Um, but it was just a just a fantastic uh, get together. A lot of the sponsors came in, and um, we got to watch the uh, the episode on a uh, hundred and ten inch screen which uh, the production company fusion media did a fantastic job of, of doing that but anyway I just wanted to mention that and it was it was a lot of fun and uh, just very very exciting to be a part of that so stick around uh, we have a great show ahead of us as we'll be right back with elite pro angler uh, Pete Pons as we discuss his approach to fishing with crankbaits it's one you don't want to miss come right back You've got the truck, you've got the toys, 
Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Welcome back. I'm your host, Aaron Martin. A few weeks ago when we were filming our first episode with Pete Pons down in Madison, Mississippi, I took the opportunity to sit down with him after we got done taping at the end of the day and discuss in detail on how he approaches fishing with crankbaits. Pete had some great advice on how he not only chooses the bait, but what rods, the line type, and the reels that he uses, along with a ton of other great information. Here's that interview now with Pete Pons. Pete, thanks so much for being a part of this today. Aaron, it's my pleasure to be here, as, as always, and I just can't wait to get started. Obviously, Pete, crankbaits play a major part of your repertoire or your toolkit when it comes to, to bass fishing, and would like for you to enlighten us a little bit with regards to more of the technical aspects of the crankbait. You know, it's not a big secret that I'm fond of throwing crankbaits. You know, I've got one particular crankbait is a Bandit Flat Max that is shallow running that I call my search bait. And it's the bait when I'm looking for fish, it's the bait that I use the most. And, and not just in the fall of the year or the summertime, but I do this all the time. Uh, now, in the early spring, I don't necessarily do that. But most of the time uh, in, the, in the summer, fall, and early winter, I will throw that Bandit crankbait and it's called my search bait. It's much much like a guy would throw a spinner bait or something else. But the reason why I like this bait is because I can cover a tremendous amount of water at short amounts of time. And uh, you know, in tournament fishing, that finding fish in a in a real fast situation is so important. That also plays a very important role with regards to you know weekend anglers that are just wanting to get out on the water and have a good time. Right. You know, I mean, just because I tell you something that works on a tournament situation, hey, there's nothing wrong with finding fish fast and, you know, <laughs> yeah. on uh, the you know on the weekend, you know, or, or just going out there and having a great time. Um, you know, these techniques we talk about today will work with anybody on a weekend angler, a tournament angler, um, you know, just just a guy on the bank. I mean, as they well all as work. Any, any types of bodies of water. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, there's there's different variables in there, but for the most part, you know, these techniques that we're talking about today will work anywhere. Well, let's dig in. You know, when I think of, of crankbait fishing, um, it could be considered maybe a seasonal, you know, type of, of bait. However, that is not the case. You know, it, it really isn't, and, and it's, it comes down to other, other baits, too, and you start thinking about a lot of different baits, but at one time, we thought we could only catch uh, bass on a topwater early in the morning or late in the evening. We found that that's not true anymore. And at one time, we thought we only could catch crankbait uh, fish on a crankbait in the, in the summertime. That's not true at all. You know, I've caught fish in, in, in water temperature between, say, 52 degrees up to 90, almost 90 degrees on crankbaits. So that's a wide spectrum right there. And, you know, so that tells me that I can catch them just about any time of the year on a crankbait. And, you know, that's the way it is. With looking at crankbaits, you know, how would you break crankbaits down? There's so many different varieties. Where is a good starting point to, 
whether it be talking about depth or, you know, where do we start? You know, if, if I were going down to Bass Pro and I was going to buy me some crankbaits, okay, I would first realize how deep the water is that I'm trying to find the fish in. You know, and that's a relative word. You might be at Table Rock in Missouri where the water average depth is, say, 60 feet deep, and, you know, 8 feet is shallow. Well, you might be down in Jackson, Mississippi, where you're on a lake that the average depth is 12 feet, and 8 feet is deep, you know. So you 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 have to first establish what depth of water you're going to be looking for fish in, and, and then what I would do is go down to the Bass Pro, and I'd buy that particular depth of bait. In other words, if it's, if you're fishing, you know, four to eight feet deep, then I'd go down there and I'd find me a, a shallow running flat max or a 200 series bandit that would run four to eight feet deep. If I was at Table Rock and I was going to be fishing 20 feet deep, then I'd go down there and find me a DD-22. So you start in the shallow waters first. Yeah, you know, you know most of the fish, I'd say most three quarters of the year, a lot of the fish that you catch are going to be in three foot or less. So knowing that, I would probably go down there to the Bass Pro and I would buy me a shallow running flat max or a 200 series bandit. It's one of the two baits that I would buy if, if it were me going down there. Now, I wouldn't buy just one of them because I don't buy one of anything. You know, you never get less than two because either your buddy's going to need one. You might have me fishing with you. Right. Or you're going to lose one, one of the two. I mean, you can't just go buy one. But I'd go down there and buy me two baits like that. And depending on the water color is what, what color bait I would throw, you know. In other words, if I'm in clear water like Table Rock, then I'd probably throw a natural color like shad color or it, it really doesn't matter what color it is, but it needs to be a natural looking color. No bright colors, no shiny things. And now, if I was down in Mississippi where the water clarity is a lot less, then I would I'd throw a brighter color like a chartreuse, a chartreuse blueback, chartreuse greenback, um, you know, some fluorescent type colors. So rule of thumb, dirty water, you're going to go with more of the bright colors. Absolutely. Clear water, stick more to the neutral or natural colors. That's exactly right. You know, in clear water situations, those fish are accustomed to looking at things. They're more visuals, okay? They're, they, they, they feed by sight so much more than the bass down south do. The bass down south feed by vibration more or, or should I say down south? You know, there's there's muddy water up in Missouri, and there's and there's clear water down in Mississippi. But as a general rule, in muddy water, you understand what I'm mm-hmm. trying to tell yeah. you, yep. that uh, in muddy water they feed on vibration more so than they do in clear water. So you're really using the, the vibration as the primary factor in dirty water, but we're bumping up the color or the brightness of the bait to try and capitalize on that, that sight. That's exactly right. You know, and another thing, too, that, that gets me excited is when you get a color that you have a lot of confidence in. You know, they make so many of these colors for the fishermen, not for the fish. But that's okay. You know, if you've got a color, you say, man, that looks awesome. And you feel like it's going to catch fish. Guess what? You're going to catch fish on it because 70% of fishing is confidence. And thinking that you're going to go out there and catch one, that's when you're going to go out there and catch one. So you really don't have to go out here and have you know, 15 different colors necessarily of, you know, four different styles of bait and depth ranges. It, it can be broken down a little more simply. I think so, you know. But again, it, it's going to depend on where you're fishing and, and where you're searching. And like I said, the the shallower water is where I would start search. Okay. And then I'd work on out to the deeper water. Most of the time, I'm going to run into them before I get into the deeper water. 
But, you know, if I'm cranking, and I talked earlier about it being a search bait, and what I meant by that is I'm, I've got my troll motor on high or medium, and I'm moving along there, and I'm throwing in flats, or I'm throwing on points, I'm throwing on brush tops, I'm throwing on bluffs, bluff ends, I'm throwing on, you know, I, I can go Rock on and on. Yeah, whatever type piers of or, you know. Boat docks. That's right, boat docks. Uh what I'm looking for is a bite. And once I get that bite, I say, hey, man, that fish told me something. And then if I caught him on, say, I just caught it on a boat dock, I'd go find me another boat dock just like that one, and I would throw down there and see if I could catch me one on it. And if I did, I'd say, well, I'm starting to establish a pattern here, okay? And, you know, once you establish a pattern, you can refine it. Because if you're catching them on, say, you're catching them on boat docks, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I'm catching all these on the shady side of the boat dock. Guess what? You just figured out another piece of that puzzle. So that's going to make it predictable the next fish. You're going to pull over to the next boat dock, and you're going to throw on the shady side of it, and you're going to get a bite. And, man, you're talking about getting your adrenaline pumping because you've figured them out. And then that's the way you you find fish. And then once you establish that pattern, you just have a great day. I mean, you just tear them up. Or if you're pre-fishing for a tournament, once you establish one pattern, then you move on to another pattern. You try something different and try to get two patterns going. You know, back in, in uh, when I won that tournament at Eufaula, Alabama, I actually had three different patterns going in that one tournament. Wow. And it's rare that you get that, but I, I was able to catch fish on a jig, swimming a jig. I was catching fish in the backs of pockets on a crankbait. And I was also catching fish out on lily pads with a frog. And because I had three different patterns, guess what? I came in first place. Well, anytime you can find, I see so many of my friends, even on the pro circuit, that find one pattern and they say, hey, I'm done. I'm going back. I'm going to rest. Here we come, tournament day. And that pattern falls through. And guess what? They're lost. If they were taking enough time to find a secondary pattern, then, then once that first pattern fell through, they would have a backup. And guess what? If that first pattern didn't fall through, Boom, they got, they got a limit. And then they can go to the second pattern and polish it off, get bigger fish. Or you can go to the third pattern. I mean, how nice would it be to have three patterns before a tournament, man? I mean, that'd be awesome. No doubt. So to summarize as far as it sounds to me, the, the starting point is going to the shallow water first. Absolutely. Then, if that doesn't work, we're really trying to find where those fish are staging with regards to the depth, of which is relative to the water depth with the lake itself because in certain parts of the country or certain lakes if the average depth is 12 feet versus 80 feet then you got to take that into consideration absolutely you know in, in ross barnett reservoir the average depth is probably you know eight feet deep okay so if i go to ross barnett and i want to fish deep i'm fishing seven feet you know that's deep on a table rock and i don't know this for a fact but i'm just guessing just say the average depth would be 60 feet deep and i go there and i fish eight feet deep i'm fishing shallow water sure. and that's my point you know on you have, all this works but you certainly have to put it the variables into play before you can figure out what's the proper so there are general rules of thumb is getting started but then you take it a step further by looking at the lake on an individual basis Absolutely. That's exactly right. And you also have to look at what, what kind of forage fish are there? Are, are there shad? Are you trying to represent a shad? Are you trying to represent a crawfish? Are you trying to represent, you know, what kind of forage is it? Are they threadfin shad? Are they gizzard shad? You know, there's a, there's a lot of little variables in there that you have to pay attention to. So we have the depth of established of where they're at. We've spoken on the color as far as picking color. Obviously, 
darker water or dirtier water, we're going to go with a bright or a vibrant color to try and pick up on the sight there. Clearer water, we want to stick with more of the naturals. But I have fished a crankbait with you before, and you work a crankbait a lot differently than what I've seen most crankbait fishermen. You're throwing that out there, and you're not just reeling it back in. No, I'm, I'm glad you hit on that, Aaron, because it's so important, I feel. The worst thing that you can do on a crankbait is just throw it out there and crank it in methodically slow or methodically fast, you know, just a steady pace. If you think about it, if a guy, if you're walking down the street and there's a guy chasing you, <laughs> are you going to just steady walk away from him? Or are you just going to start hauling tail? Or are you going to try to run and get out of the way? Are you going to try to hide or something? Well, the crankbait, the fish are the same way, man. I'm telling you, you know, you, when you throw that thing out there, you need to crank it in, stop, start it, bump, bump the logs, you know, make it react, okay? I've got a couple of cats at my house. And what made me think of this is I tied a little ball to a rod, and I threw it out there, and I reeled it by the cats, okay? Uh-huh. And after a little while, they, they wouldn't even look at it. They were ignoring it, you know? And I have to think that's the same as a fish. But guess how I got those cats to react to that ball? I threw it out there, and I cranked it about four or five turns, and I stopped it. And then I reeled it real fast, and I stopped it. Boy, and they pounced on it. Well, it was that change. That's right. It's just like a bass. Bass is a predator. They like to hide behind things. They like to jump out and ambush, okay? So you've got to get excited when you're fishing that crankbait, and you've got to show them something that's not normal, okay? They want to see a dart here, a bump there. You know, and I can't tell you how many times that I've caught fish throwing a crankbait straight in the middle of a brush pile. I mean, you just throw it right in there, and you just finesse it through there, easy does it and a lot of times it might get a little hung up then you just let off and it floats right back up pull it back down in there and boy i tell you he's gonna load on well and you put a crankbait in positions that most people may be a little leery of of putting a jig in well you know that's true but you know you can't catch them if they don't bite it but also a crankbait especially the square bill or the round bill, like a little round bill, Bandit 200, man, it comes through that trash so good. And a lot of the older guys will use what they call a square bill crankbait. And that's just what it, you know, it's just what it indicates. It's a square and it's a big bodied crankbait and it doesn't hang up. And what that bait does is when you crank it down there and you bang that brush or bang that timber, it darts off. And again, we're back to the cats. Whenever it's a, a direct reaction, it's a flash the fish attack it. Bringing a crankbait through, whether it be a brush pile or structure, has a lot to do with feel and sensitivity, which ultimately is a factor of a few different things. Line, rods, reels, your terminal terminal tackle. Talk a little bit about line first. Where do we start with choosing a line to throw a crankbait on? Man, I'm telling you, in my opinion, there is no other line than fluorocarbon. The fluorocarbon that I use is called Vicious, and I'm actually testing it for the company. But it, the reason why I use that line is because it has very low stretch, and it's very, very sensitive. Okay, Fluorocarbon is more sensitive than a mono, and the reason why is because it has no stretch. If you take a rubber band and you stretch it out, that's what mono is like. If you take a string and you stretch and it doesn't stretch, that's what fluorocarbon is like. And the fluorocarbon is so much more sensitive than the mono. When I, I can actually feel a fish, if I've got the right line and the right rod, I actually feel the fish if he swims by and he doesn't touch the bait, but he just 
almost gets it. You know, I know that no, sounds swipes at it. That's right. That sounds strange, but okay. Think about you driving down the road and you're behind an 18 wheeler, okay, and you pull out into the left lane to pass him, and all of a sudden that wind hits your car, and all of a sudden you feel it back. Well, you, that never touched you, but yet you felt it. Any, you felt right. it anyway. It, you know, it's the same with fishing. When that when that fish comes up there and he swirls right by it, you're feeling that you're feeling that bait vibrate down through there, and all of a sudden he swirls by it. Then you can feel that, and you know if you feel that, then you're fixing to get a strike. So all you have to do then is stop your bait, pop it one time, and it's just like whenever, like I was talking about with those cats, you know. What a great point. What about as far as we've stepped it up now, line? Sensitivity, very important. Fluorocarbon, pound test. How, how do we select yeah. the right pound? Well, I tell you, you're hitting all, all, the, all the keys. <laughs> I'm not going right to let here. you slide on these. Yeah. And, you know, I like to use 12 pound or the smallest line that I can get away with, okay, and feel comfortable pulling that bait through those brush, brush tops. And you say, Pete, 12 pounds off a little to be pulling a crankbait through a brush top. Sure it is. But if you finesse it through there, you can get that fish and you can get him out of there. But the smaller line that I use, I feel like the better the, 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 the bait works. I feel like the better action it has, the better feel you have, and the more you can tell when you're getting a strike. And it's all about sensitivity. So I use 12 pound. I'll sometimes go down to 10 pound. But Aaron, I, I never, never use more than 14 pound fluorocarbon I, you know I just you don't, don't do it no I mean you sacrifice, feel that the sacrifice. I, I really feel that the sacrifice uh, you know you, you can't put that much variance on there and and uh, even if it's heavy structure I still don't use anything less than I mean anything more than 14 pound test so we've covered the line fluorocarbon range anywhere from ideally 8 to 12 14 Maybe. You know, eight, eight's a little on the little side, fourteen's a little on the big side. Sure. Now, which brings me into my next point, the rod. Very, very important because this is something you're holding in your hand. Yeah, you know, the rod is, you need a really sensitive rod. And I usually use about a six and a half foot rod on my smaller crankbaits. And I use up to a seven and a half foot rod on my larger crankbaits. And you say, why? Well, the larger ones have a lot more resistance. So you don't need the same type rod for your little crankbaits as you do your big crankbaits. And the smaller rod, you know, a lot of people used to use those old fiberglass rods. Mm -hmm. And, hey, some guys still like them. That's great. But what I want is I want to feel that bait wiggling through there. So I'm going to need a graphite composite or boron rod or something of a mix of that. And each rod is different. You have to kind of get the feel of it. You have to be able to feel the bait wiggling in the water. goes back to the, to the example with the, the semi. That's right, man. You've got to be able to feel that, feel that bait coming through the water. So when you can do that, so you know when you're pulling it over that brush top or you're pulling it across that limb or you're cranking it and it's hitting concrete, you can feel it. You know that it's concrete or you know it's a brush or you know it's a log. And that tells you when to stop your bait and start your bait and, and helps you get more strikes. So is the length of the rod more dependent upon what style of crankbait that you're throwing, or how does that work? You know, I think that's a personal choice because, you know, a guy that's real tall and lanky, he might want a little longer rod. A guy that's short, he might be comfortable with a little bit shorter rod. And that really is a personal choice. But what is not a personal choice is the amount of backbone those have in them. Now, with a crankbait, you don't want a whole lot of backbone in there because whenever he hits that bait, 
You know, times are not like they used to be. Whenever we all had those, I remember when my dad had one of those steel rods, you know, <laughs> and the hooks were dull. But yeah. now they they're laser sharp. You got three, you got six hooks on most crankbaits, okay, ready to stick the fish. If he bites it, he's gonna get he's gonna get hooked. I mean, it's just it's just common knowledge. It's mm-hmm. gonna happen. Now I have have had them bite it and get off. You say how'd that happen? But most times, more time than not. It's not because you didn't set the hook or something like that on a crankbait. Because usually when one loads on a crankbait, you don't have to do anything different. All you do is start reeling faster. You know, Those hooks are so sharp, they just go right in them. Which leads me into my next thought. We've covered line, the rods. The only component left that's between you and the bait is the reel. I know Arden reels are very much a part of your daily fishing, and especially when it comes to, to crankbaits. What's what's the right reel and, and combination there? You know, I, I do use Arden, and it is a superb reel in my opinion because it has the durability that you need. You know, if you're, you're thinking about cranking a crankbait all day long, it takes a toll on that reel, and it really puts a stress on those gears. So you need a reel that's going to hold up. But more importantly than that, you've got to have a smooth reel. And I get so tickled when I go into Bass Pro Shop, and I see these guys push a button on a reel, and they spin that spool like that. <laughs> You know, you think about that, that really doesn't come into play because when you cast that reel, you put your thumb on there. So when you put your thumb on there, you're you're deleting anything that, that as far as freedom of that spool went. I mean, so you, you might as well forget about the spool spinning, okay? Now, what is important to me is when I grab hold of that reel handle and I turn it, I want to turn it and I don't want to feel any gears meshing, okay? I want to feel nothing but smooth. So when, I, when I'm throwing that spinnerbait out there and I feel that blade going wopple, 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 or I'm throwing that crankbait, I can hear it go da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, I can feel that go da-da-da-da-da-da-da like that. I know because that reel is smooth, I can feel that. If you're fishing with a reel and, you, and you're reeling it, it's going Sounds like a jam mill. Yeah. And, you know, it's going You don't have a prayer. I mean, you're stepping up to the plate and you're swinging with the switch, and the other guy's got a bat, you know? I mean... Because that those grinding of the gear, I mean, that is going to take away from the vibration or the sensitivity that you say is so important. It's the, so important. The most important thing is sensitivity. You've got to be able to feel that bait come through the water, and so you'll know when you get a strike or you'll know when, whatever it's hitting. What a great, great piece of information. You know, so many times people think that sensitivity is only important when fishing a worm or a jig or, you know, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And then they get the impression that, you know, a crankbait, you just throw it out there and cast. You know, I, I couldn't disagree with, with them more because, you know, over the years I've found that you can search a lot. You can fish that crankbait the same place you fish a worm. You can throw it the same place you fish a jig. You can throw it the same place you fish a spinnerbait, but you're doing it two or three times as fast. Now, I'm not saying it's a solve-all. I'm not saying that only throw a crankbait. What I'm saying is it helps me find fish fast, okay? And once I find them and I establish that they're there, I establish a pattern, then I might switch to a jig or switch to something else. I catch the easy ones on the crankbait, and then I'll follow up with a jig or follow up with a worm or a different bait, you know? Give us a little insight because you've went into... um size of the crankbait, styles of the crankbait, depths, we've covered line, we've covered the rod, the reel. What about individual pulls into a new body of water? I don't care if it's a farm pond up to a a reservoir. What should they be keying in on to throw that that crankbait at? 
I mean, are we looking at structure? Are we looking at, you know, combination of the above? What give them some ways that they can expedite their success with a crankbait? You know, <clears throat> on most bodies of water, uh, a good place to start looking for fish is, is the riprap. All of them have a dam. Almost every one of them have a dam. You can go to the corners of the dam. If you don't know where to catch them, then go go to the corners of the dam, throw, throw a crankbait on the riprap. And if it's steep enough, and when I say riprap, you know I'm talking about the rocks on the dam, okay? okay? And if it's steep enough, then you want to use a deep. You know, if it's 12, 13, 14, 15 feet deep, then you want to use a deep crankbait. If it's seven, eight feet, you want to use a shallow run crankbait. Also, when you get a bite on that, I want you to notice how close is it to the bank or how far out from the bank am I. And just go down that riprap and try it. And, and then we go right back into building your pattern. And absolutely. Same, the same deal. And, and, you know, not just riprap is good, but you might start there. And then another, another place I want you to check is I want you to go look at some of the flats. And, you know, when I first started tournament fishing, I really didn't realize how much those fish use those flats. I mean, what a key place that nobody really looks at okay and a flat is an area that's really shallow for a long period of time it's an area that's the same depth consistently for quite a while and usually on a flat it's got a breaking point okay when you go out well, that isn't flat, a lot of those flats um on the larger reservoirs when they flooded the the lakes it was a lot of that was the, the old river bottoms that backed right up to the river channels right? it's actually the sides of the river you know it's actually one side or the other river usually it's on the inside of the river where it makes a rounded point and occasionally it's on the outside because the water has been flooded over you might have 30 feet in the river and then it comes up to about seven feet and then from from that point on to to as far as you can see to the bank it's seven feet deep well, guess what? Right there where it comes up from 30 feet to 7 feet, if you get a crankbait and you go down that edge, at some point in time in there, there's going to be a break line or there's going to be indention or a turn in that bank right there. And, and the fish are going to be swatted up on there. I cannot tell you how many times I've found the fish simply by getting on that flat and going down through there real fast and aggressively and cranking that crankbait. And whenever I hit a stump or something, I'll stop and jerk it one time and crank it down there and stop it, and boy, he loads on. So bottom line is just getting outside of the obvious sometimes and checking out or getting outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to try different things. And, and be open-minded, man. Don't, don't get set on one particular thing. You know, I've got a lot of confidence in crankbaits, and I think there's some really good baits. But just because... I like to throw a crankbait. That's not all I'm going to throw. I'm going to try some other things, you know. And you have to put the whole, every part of the puzzle together to make the complete puzzle. So one day a crankbait might work and, and one day it might not. But for the most part, it's a very good bait for me to search with. It's a very good bait for me to find fish with. Pete, one thing that we haven't covered that's, that's probably the last thing is, is hooks. And I know I, that's why I'm saving it till the end, but yeah. I know you get a lot of questions on that. Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times I'm doing a seminar or I'm talking at Bass Pro or something, and a guy's come up and said, what do you think about those red hooks? Well, I always have this story, okay? And this happened to me last year on Lake Toho, and it's a true story, okay? I was fishing in a BASS tournament, and on Toho, the guides take shiners out, and they, and they you know, have their customers throw shiners because the bass will come up and feed on the shiner, and uh, it's easy. It's an easy way to do it. But you know those bass have gotten leery of them. Okay, they'd come up, and you can actually see them whenever they've got shiners and corks out there. They'll come up there and just 
bop at the bop at the shiner. They wouldn't actually take it, but they just hit at it because they were scared. And they, you know, they, they've been caught so many times that they know something's wrong. Well, <clears throat> those bass would school around there in the same areas that those shiner the shiner fishermen were. And we pulled up there in the tournament. The bass came up schooling, and I took I took a bait called a chug bug. And my partner had one just like mine. You know, at the beginning of the tournament, he asked me, what you, th- what you catching on, Pete? And I said, well, I'm catching them on chug bug. Well, he tied him one on. I tied me one on. They were pretty much the same color. And we go out there, and the fish came up jumping. I throw my bait out there, and, I mean, I, it landed perfect. I'm thinking, man, I couldn't catch him. Pop, 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 jerked it by there. Boom, he popped it up out of the water, and he hit it. He knocked that bait three feet <laughs> in the air. Guess what? He didn't get it. Pop, pop, pop. Another one came behind it. Boom, knocks it up in the air. Didn't get it. Meantime, my partner in the back of the boat says, oh, I got one. Can you help me? Can you help me? He's pulling in. He lands his, okay? Puts him in the boat. We wait around there. You know, we're fishing around, fishing around. All of a sudden, they come up jumping. Throw my bait out there. Pop, pop, pop. Nothing. Dang. Pop, pop. Boom. He hits it. Knocks it up in the air. Doesn't get it. About that time, I hit my partner. It's like, oh, I got you. Come help me. Help me. That happened two more times, okay? And it, it, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, okay? I turned around to my partner. And I said, man, what are you doing? And uh, he holds his bait up, and I look at it, and he's got two red hooks on it. And I don't have any. I jump down the bottom of the boat. You know, he's got me four to nothing right there. And this, like I said, this is true. Sure. Got me four to nothing, and, and, and I'm supposed to be the professional, and he's the co-anger, okay? And I jump down the bottom of the boat. I put my red hooks on. A little bit, the fish come up jumping. I throw out there, it lands just right, pop, 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 clues, he hits it, sucks it down, get him, and I catch him. And from that day on, I believe red hooks work. Now, I tell you, I don't always use them, but I don't think that they don't, I don't think it hurts. Now, when I put hooks on my baits like that, I make sure, especially if it's, it's a crankbait or a topwater, I make sure I use the same kind of hooks that came from the factory. Because if you take a big hook and you put it on a crankbait, you might make that crankbait sink instead of float, okay? Or, or you put it on a topwater. You, you might make that topwater sit well underwater, whereas it doesn't have the same action. You know, these guys at the factories, they spend a lot of time balancing these lures and making sure that they had the right combination of weight. So whenever I change hooks out, I try to keep a similar hook that what was on there to begin with, other than the color. Well, Pete, unfortunately, we have come to that part to where we're out of time. You have clearly laid out a blueprint for success when it comes to any type of crankbait fishing. And really, to me, you've taken that aisle of 400 and some baits that's you know in the Bass Pro and narrowed it down and given me something that I can put and simplify to be able to have immediate success. Thank you so much for being a part of this interview on Bass Edge Podcast. Aaron, I can't tell you what kind of a pleasure it is to help you with that. And anytime you guys give me a call, okay? Thank you so much. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard.
Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. Hello and welcome back. I wanted to share with you real quick, this is normally the the section where we'll be doing the product giveaways that I talked about earlier, and like I said, this is an area that you don't want to miss. So in order to get in on the action, uh, what I need you to do is if you'll send an email to info at bassedge.com, again that's info, I-N-F-O at bassedge.com, and place in the subject line, this is very important, place in the subject line, product giveaway. Then in the body of that email, uh, if you will just include your name, address, and telephone number, that way if you win, we know exactly where uh, that product will be shipped to, and we'll get that out. But but like I said, we've got some exciting things that's going to be given away uh, through this, so it, it's something that you don't want to miss. All right, let's get started. Uh, let's join Mr. Pete Benedetto with the Locker Bar Company and get into some of the boat security issues. Pete, describe what the benefits and the features of the Locker Bar and what it actually does. The features of the locker bar, it's a major deterrent. It's a very strong component that will protect the tackle, your rods, your electronics, whatever you've got in your boat. The product's made out of two stainless steel uh, bars extending across your deck, going into two aluminum brackets on either side of the walls. And we supply, along with the locker bar, a uh, heavy-duty stainless steel lock to lock it all together. So the bar goes from one side of the front deck to the other. That's correct. And really it sits right across on top of the of the rod boxes. That's correct. They're not uh, gonna, with, with you're not going to be able to get the lock uh, your rod boxes open as long as that locker bar is on your boat. Sure. So with having actually locks on, you know, as part of the, the lock lids, this is really just an added value and an added insurance, if you will, from, you know, a, a deterrent like you said earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. We know that the, the, the locks... With the lids, we all know you can open them pretty easily with a screwdriver or in some cases with your hands. That's why we uh, we pursued the locker bar uh, approach to give that added protection. Uh, I can't tell you just what that benefit provides to me by, you know, when I travel to go on a fishing trip, of knowing that when I go in the hotel room and I have a locker bar stretched across the front deck of my boat, knowing that that, that fishing tackle is going to be protected. Aaron, you mentioned you, you feel more comfortable when you're in your motel room and, and uh, you feel like your tackle's safe and sound and sleeping well, and that's true. But one of the things I like to point out is that when we get calls on our product and we get to talk to people that have actually been robbed, okay, and we try and keep some statistics on that, and we found that a third people getting robbed to get robbed at restaurants or on the road not just necessarily at uh, a motel or leaving their boat in a slip but you know and i know as we tow our boats normally in a truck stop or in a restaurant you're in you're on the back or the side you can't see it and it happens that fast so you know just not the hotel just not the slip but think about the security of the bar as you are actually traveling and stopping along the highway that's important Give me a, a price range of, you know, the cost associated with, with a locker bar. We have a suggested retail price on our website of one sixty four ninety five at the present time. Again, it's less than any rod reel, a rod reel combination, or less than a box of crankbaits that you've got right. <laughs> in your boat. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I mean, we, we go out today and we'll we spend... You know, if you can buy a good crankbait for you know less than six, seven dollars, and you sit there with fifty of them in your box, how about a spinner rod? I mean, a spinner bait. You're talking, you know, maybe six, seven dollars for a spinner bait today. Maybe a little less certain areas. 
but you got 15 or 20 of them in your, your box. I mean, that's a lot of money. It's just, just not the rods and reels or the graphs that we're talking about. I mean, that's a lot of money that we've got sitting in boats, I as well as you. And I think Lockerbar does a fine job in protecting that uh, investment that you have. One of the things that I also look at is, you know, let's say if you are on location to where you have multiple options for a thief to look at. It's not necessarily just that, A, it's going to keep them from breaking in. I also look at it from the standpoint of a deterrent. That if you have, a lot of times I'll go to tournaments. We have, you know, 20 bass boats all out in the parking lot. And if you have 10 of them with a locker bar and 10 without, thinking from my side, if I'm the thief, which one am I going to go after? You might think I'm nuts what I'm going to tell you, but I was actually there. And we were at a tournament, and there were several, two guys out um, in the area where the boats were stored. And actually getting robbing boats. And we sat there, and guys were saying, well, I bet you he don't get on my boat because i got a locker bar, and he's going to go to the boat next to him. And we actually watched this happen while we were waiting for the cops to come, and they captured the guys that were doing it. They didn't get away, and everybody got their stuff back. But we actually watched thieves in action, jump up on the boat, jump off the boat, and just jump to another boat because that particular individual did have the locker bar. It's a great visual deterrent. Well, and that is field research that you can't, no, you, know, you can't no, replace because that's firsthand. Right. It's, it's pretty hard to go recreate a live situation of a thief. In fact, there were several $10 bets going around that night. On that <laughs> <laughs> and I just sat there and watched it. I thought they were, and these are touring pros, by the way. These, this was not a local tournament. I mean, this is one of the major tournaments out here. And I thought they were a little crazy to sit there and watch these guys jump from boat to boat, you know. One of the things that I've become very aware of in traveling, thieves think differently than, <laughs> than people who will go out and work hard and, and buy it themselves. They know when events or tournaments or when prime fishing season for just weekend anglers are ta is taking place. There's a definite... Uh, I... Let me put. Let me say this: We have a pretty good rapport with a lot of the water patrol groups in different states, and in our discussions with them, and the acceleration of when uh, boats are broken into. Yes, there's got to be. There's definitely. They know there's a group that's just following the tournaments. Doesn't necessarily have to be a major tournament like BASS or FLW or, or associates with them. It could be local tournaments in your given area. But these guys know where those tournaments are, where they're going out of, and normally what, ho what motels are being um, being used down there. And the Water Patrol has been kind enough and giving us some statistics on this. And we just watch it and look at it. And uh, in the state of, well, Missouri, where we live, uh, Water Patrol off even offers that, or not offers it, but they mentioned it on their uh, webpage and, and their theft prevention program. Explain a little bit about, you know, bass boats, there's, there's a lot of uh, great bass boats that are out there, a lot of different designs, different styles. How adaptable is the locker bar to differing bass boat companies? Actually, it'll fit on every fiberglass boat out there, and one size fits all. On some model boats, um, we have wedges because of the curvature of boats or the side angle of boats. And we have these wedges also for like walleye boats because they have a slanted edge, they have a slanted sidewall. And this wedge goes between the brackets and the uh, sidewall. And, and it works to bring the, the bracket 
up on a 90 degree angle so the bar goes straight across the boat. There's not, in my, un, my knowledge, a fiberglass boat out there that would probably couldn't get a locker bar up. As far as the lid design on the front deck of the, of the boat, mm -hmm. you, know, you have your rod boxes and you have your storage boxes. Mm -hmm. They're changing up the locations, obviously, on those mm -hmm. now, just with some are moving the rod boxes now to the center and you know, making this one bigger than that one, mm -hmm. that type of situation. How do you adapt to those rod box changing? We've made an adapter in the past couple of years that slides over the locker bar. And, uh, in fact, we've, you've got one on your boat. Yes. Right. And yep. uh, what that does, uh, it slides uh, on your bar. It'll lock into your locker bar, and it locks through the adapter, through the locker bar, and it extends forward where it catches the front lip of the box, and you're not going to get that box open either mm -hmm. because it, it, it'll hold it down. I know on the, the one that you put on the mm -hmm. Bass Edge boats, it literally fits solid against the deck of the boat, That's and correct. there is no way, no way that you can get those lids open. No, and you could, you're not going to lift it up at all. I mean, uh, some of the boats, the way they're set up, you might be able to lift that lid up not even an inch, and you're not going to get it. You know, even if you had an inch gap, you're not going to get your hand there, and definitely not going to be able to pull a, a box of uh, lures out, or even a lure. You know, you're just not going to be able to do that. It just depends on the design of the box and how deep that box lid is going down to the tackle box. Well, Pete, bottom line is, you know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the locker bar. Obviously, we wouldn't use them on our personal boats uh, through Bass Edge to be able to travel around. They just give us an added sense of security, and we know that our gear is going to be protected. Pete, thanks so much for being part of Bass Edge Podcast. Leave our listeners with where they can get more information concerning the locker bar. Well, the simplest thing is to go on your website, BassEdge.com, and there's information on there, as you know. And uh, certainly uh, they can get as much information there as they can from our website. That's it. Thanks again for your time today, and thanks for being part of, part of Bass Edge. <laughs> it's our pleasure. Thank you. Well, that about wraps it up for our very first podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week on The Edge. I want to thank Pete Benedetto and Pete Pons for joining us and providing with a lot of great information. A lot of exciting things ahead as next week we are joined by elite pro angler Edwin Evers as he will recap episode two and go into a lot of detail on fishing structure. It's one that you don't want to miss. In addition, we're going to be joined by Mike Utzler of Heartland Trails, one of the highest paying trails that's out there uh, something if you're interested in competitive fishing you might want to stick around and and uh, hear because it's it's very very exciting again thank you for joining us and i'm your host aaron martin of the bass edge television show on the versus network for more information be sure to visit our website at bassedge.com this week's edition of bass edges the edge has been brought to you by b&w trailer hitches cook's tackle management system Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.